Hey guys, I'm so excited to be doing another series ever since I've done a series. Last series was in the book of Proverbs and we covered the whole book of Proverbs every single day studying something from Proverbs. Then we're looking at a verse a day, let's say, but this one is going to be a bit intense but also sweet at the same time because we are going to cover the book of a uh, Song of Solomon. And this is called the Song of Solomon series for that reason. So we'll be looking at each chapter every single day and see what we can learn from this chapter. So just as an intro, the book is amazing. It's short and I love short books because you can study a lot in a short time. But this is a special book, I believe, and it deserves our attention. You know, uh, these days, many people have shunned away from that book. It seems to be apocalyptic. It's like the book of Revelation 2. Um, in terms of how people have reacted to this book over time, uh, people think somehow it doesn't deserve to be in the Bible. But surprisingly, this book is amazing. It has so much to teach us of how we can better our relationships on earth. But most importantly, how we can have the right relationship with God, our Savior and our King. And so why do we get started and look in the book of um, Song of Solomon and we begin with chapter 1 so the intro I want to give here or the primary basis of our study or of our journey of our exploration is this fact found in Ephesians 5:25. there it says husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it so um, pretty much this is saying that this is giving us the basic idea that at least in Bible prophecy or Bible poetry, um, when when sometimes when they say a woman, they're actually referring to a church. And and so that's very important to understand. And those verses on the screen kind of give that context in full. And there's many other verses, but if you read through the whole Bible, that reference keeps popping up. And so that's something that we want to um, take with us and use it as a tool to help us understand the book of song of solomon before we continue any further since this is god's word we dare not continue without inviting him uh his presence his angels his holy spirit to guide us as we as we dwell as we dive into his word and so let's pray heavenly father thank you so much for this opportunity to study your word this book is amazing for many reasons and lord i pray that you show us today and open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your word Thank you, Father, for hearing us. In Jesus' name, we know you've heard us. Amen. All right. And so here we are. Verse number one. This is Song of Solomon, uh, chapter one, verse number one. It says, the song of songs, which is Solomon's. Now, this is very powerful. It's the song of songs. And I was thinking to myself, why would this be a song of songs? Because that's a big claim, don't you think? To say this is a song of songs. It's like the best song ever, right? I mean, think of the songs you've heard. You would think that perhaps the best song, uh, since this is the Bible that we're talking about, should be at least from the hymn, or it should be about God, it should be about, you know, church. Maybe it should be a doxology. But, but they're saying, no, actually a song of songs is actually something that has to do with two people loving each other and that was like wow that's interesting uh, perhaps maybe what this verse is telling us is that the the greatest song of songs 
is love itself that love is a song that love is the best music there is in fact god when you think about it is love love is not an attribute that god has love is who god is and so whenever love is entered into whenever love is contemplated about whenever love is the motive god is readily present there so a song of songs is not necessarily the song of moses or the song that miriam sang or the song that you know any song you can think of in the bible but a song of songs is a song that talks about love so i thought that was amazing because you know we shun away from the book of song of solomon because it talks about love but god is love last time i checked so anyways let's move on verse number two let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for thy love is better than wine interesting right especially with verse two we just feel like okay let's throw this away or skip this verse but every verse must be read because all scripture is given by inspiration of god even this verse my friends is given by inspiration of god and it is profitable to make us better so let's see how we go how it goes with this verse so let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth so i was contemplating on this and obviously this kiss is specific it's it's the kiss of the mouth right and and i was asking myself why do people kiss right and why is that when did it start happening and apparently obviously we see in the bible that kisses are happening and all that um but what's interesting is that kissing is not something intuitive necessarily it's not necessarily something that we kind of is innately within us it's something that we learned and there's a suggestion that you know kissing may have originated from uh, a process known as uh pre-mastication um yeah it, something like uh, pre-mastication feeding something something like that so so that was interesting because <laughs> in pre-mastication feeding what that means is uh, mothers would chew food for their children and then obviously give them the chewed food for easy you know digestion because babies can't chew right so it's kind of gross but at the same time it's great and so people were suggesting okay that's where actually uh, mouth to mouth kissing originated from but you know that's that's just an aside i guess uh whatever the reason might be um kissing especially this type of kissing of the mouth is for intimacy intimacy is what they're talking about here so we have this woman actually who is looking for intimacy powerful and remember woman means a church and you can put yourself right in there that you know at the very depths of being human what we really need is intimacy intimacy but it's a very specific intimacy just as in this case the kiss has to be very specific mouth kiss and one thing about this this type of kiss is that you cannot kiss two people at the same time so it's very focused to one person and in the case of jesus christ and god he actually is looking for laser focused intimacy just put me first and i'll give you everything else right now in case you think i'm making this up read with me proverbs chapter 2 i believe there it's where we're told kiss the son lest he be angry and and that that not mandate but that uh 
that appeal to kiss the sun is interesting because what that means is seek the sun, you know, have an intimate, personal, up close relationship with him. That's when you have life. And so just as this woman recognizes and realizes that he needs intimacy, well, sorry, that she has or she has intimacy to be fulfilled only by this king, even ourselves, there's a whole, there's a, there's a, there's a space inside our hearts. There's a, there's a, there's a, high, a hurting we can't hide within us that only God, that only Jesus Christ can feel. And then she goes on to say, because your love is better than wine for thy love is better than wine now we won't have time to go into what wine is or which wine they're talking about but i did a video on that talking about wine in the bible specifically did jesus turn water into alcohol and so you guys can check it out i'll put that in the description as well or you can click somewhere on the cards that you see on the screen if you're on youtube but in any case so um, what this meant to me was that, you know, this love is actually so much better than wine itself. Now, wine, now, for, my, for myself, wine will be unfermented wine. And, you know, wine is awesome. It has many benefits. Um, grape juice, that is, or whatever other juice that, that might be inferred or referred to here. It has medicinal properties, nutritious properties. So what this woman is saying is that the king's love is better than all these things. It's better than nutrition or the medicine that the wine would produce. Now, some may have the understanding that what this verse means, the better than wine, is that perhaps this love of theirs is intoxicating as well. But that's far from the truth because, because if it's better than intoxicating, alcohol then it's something better than that so it cannot be something equal to that for those who think this is alcoholic wine it has to be something so much better but that that also helps us understand another point that the love being spoken about here is not the love of intoxication and carelessness this love being spoken about is pure and holy and sweet and so in that sense it is indeed better than wine so whichever wine version you prefer this love is better than both verse number three because of the savor of thy good ointments thy name is as an ointment poured forth therefore do virgins love thee powerful stuff right so it refers to thy name and thy name really name in bible means character we can you can read uh, exodus where, where god proclaims his name and he proclaims his character that was exodus chapter 34 i believe so name means character and this is very interesting when it comes to uh, people looking for love or people in love is that the name or the character of the person should be the first thing that you put in front before you 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 look out for anything else because at least in this instance the reason given for love this woman loves this man and the reason she gives is because of your name it's it's as ointment when poured forth that's why actually virgins love you so there's something bigger about character the character is greater and bigger than chemistry you know so you need to put character before chemistry that's when you're going to enjoy love as a lover let's say all right but there's also other implications here i put the picture there of mary the one who opened the alabaster box and poured it 
uh, you know, upon Jesus' feet. And she also did something that was interesting for me. You can find the story in Luke chapter 7, verse 45. She opens the alabaster box and pours it upon Jesus' feet. And there it says, actually, that if you read the story's version from Luke, it says that she kissed he, uh, she kissed Jesus' feet. And that's interesting because going back to verse 1, it showed that this woman desires a specific type of kiss from the man and we've already looked at the spiritual implications of a kiss in terms of kissing the sun but this is a very different type of kiss because it's a kiss on the feet and you know in our relationship with God we need to experience this as well well this wasn't a kiss of intimacy this wasn't a kiss of familiarity or, or closeness this was a kiss of of thankfulness a kiss of indebtedness so she felt like she owes so much to Jesus and that's what this pouring out of the ointment means. It's really similar to pouring out her life. But I guess that's for another day. Let's focus on the, on the book at hand here. So moving on to verse number four, it says, Romy, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee we will remember thy love more than wine the upright love thee so we see this woman desiring to be drawn drawn towards the king and remember the whole premise of our study the whole um what's it called the whole thesis if you like is that according to bible prophecy and poetry a woman refers to the church and so we can imagine ourselves not necessarily imagine but this is exactly what our cry our prayer needs to be our prayer needs to be draw me and I'm reminded of a song it says draw me nearer nearer blessed Lord draw me nearer nearer blessed Lord to the cross where thou hast died draw me nearer Nearer, blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. So again, the idea of closeness and intimacy is shown when we get in verse number four. What's interesting is that this king now brings the woman into his chambers. It really sounds like John chapter 14, where Jesus promised us really, well, his disciples first and then us by extension, that he's going to prepare a place for us and that where he is, we will be also. And so that's symbolically us being drawn into his chambers. I mean, the whole thing about God and us is intimacy and being together. That's what God is about. And so I hope this, this verse at least is an encouragement to, to those who are seeking intimacy to realize that true intimacy really comes from God. Now the we here is actually not the, 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 the two characters involved here, but the we is referring to the daughters of Jerusalem. And they are saying that they will be glad and rejoice this love. Now that's a very interesting concept because when we speak of relationships, especially love relationships, or should I say uh, love between a, a man and a woman, there should be and there must never be anything secret about it because as you can see from the verse for example you have other parties already involved and they are actually celebrating they are actually rejoicing 
And that tells us that love is something that ought to be celebrated. It's not something that ought to be shunned away or, or hidden because ultimately love is God, or should I say God is love. But continuing with the story, we find that, you know, the woman has a different, um, different doubts about this, I should say, because she, she goes on to say the upright, they uprightly love thee, right? They, they love you. Um, remember we read something about the virgins loving, loving this, this man because of his character. Well, so the woman is responding and saying they do, they, they, they do well in doing that and they rightly do so. But she continues to have her own doubts and she says, I am black, but calmly, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedah, as the cadence of Solomon. So she's referring to, this verse at least is referring to how she's having some doubts in herself that although the king himself deserves to be loved, she doesn't. She doesn't deserve to be loved back. And that really speaks to the truth of the human condition. That we can never deserve anything from God or for God. Not even our love deserves the graces that God gives us. But those are given to us just because of His grace. So it is completely natural to feel as though you do not deserve the love that the King has to offer. But at the same time, we learn from this very verse that the, the, the woman says, I am black but comely. She is black because of the duties that she performs. She, she actually explains this in the next verse um, where she says, Look not upon me because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. So she spent more, more time uh, during the, um, she spent more time in the sun that the sun actually had an effect on how she looked. Truth of the matter is though, that this is just self-doubt. In reality, we will see by the way the king responds that she's just looking down on herself when in reality, the king sees something different. She thinks that because of her hardships that she is way worse, but according to the king, she's actually far better and fair the way she is, which is something interesting when you think of our relationship with God, that in in the as, as much as is it as much as it's true that we are not worthy of his love as much as it's true that we are desperately wicked above all things simultaneously when god looks at us he says really by just giving us his son to die for us that that really speaks volumes and it means that he sees something of value in us but the good thing about this is we cannot be we cannot even be proud about it because the value we're talking about here is the is the value that he placed within us himself so that's interesting interesting way to look at it in any case so she, the woman co goes on to complain or at least give her doubts about how you know she's been neglected and she feels like you know spending much time in the sun or the hardship she goes through may have injured or may have made her um look worse deserving than than she would otherwise be but the king says otherwise if we read in verse number seven um the woman actually goes and continue to ask the people around tell me all thou whom my soul lovest where thou fittest uh where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon for why should i be as the one that turns aside by the flocks of thy companions so 
again the intimacy continues now the woman is asking where can i find you where can i find you uh, tell me where i can find you and this is interesting if you think about it in a spiritual context uh you know we are we are all in a very real sense married to jesus christ as his church where can i find jesus where do you think you can find jesus and <laughs> this is getting interesting actually because if you think about it literally where exactly can you find jesus christ well in the context of what's happening right now the only place we can find jesus christ is in the sanctuary right now in heaven and right there he's he's pre pretty much doing our business he is interceding for us uh prophetically maybe if we have time we're going to go deeper into this but prophetically what's going on right now would be referred to as a wedding we are present in heaven um not physically obviously but by faith by us believing that where jesus christ is he's interceding for us and and he is representing us so in a very real sense we are with him and we can find him in the heavenly sanctuary nowhere else will you find jesus christ you can try to find him in other places but he is in a specific place and in the case of the king um you know that reminds me about the chambers part if you go back <laughs> the chambers um right it says draw me will run after thee the king hath brought me into his chambers if you think of jesus christ as the king which he is you can't think of any other chambers other than the chambers of our salvation if you like the the holy place and the most holy place now if you study the sanctuary carefully it's very amazing how everything in the sanctuary pointed to jesus and in a very real sense has meaning even today because jesus is fulfilling those things today so he moved from the holy place to the most holy place and he's there for us he's there to to woo us to himself to draw us to himself jesus said if i be lifted up all men will, will be drawn unto me and that's the power of love. No wonder this is called the Song of Songs because it's not just a story of two lovers, really. This is inspired and so it's a story of Christ. If all scriptures indeed testify of Jesus Christ, why not this book? Why not these verses that we are reading right now? If thou know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tents so the king is responding to the woman's quest where can i be found and he says just follow the footsteps of the flock now i'll be quite honest i don't understand what that means exactly you guys can help me know uh what you study or what you read in the comments and what the holy spirit impresses upon you but continuing our realization that jesus christ is in the most holy place the question to where can he be found is to follow in his footsteps now the footsteps of the flock will be something like um the flock also if you want to think of it that way the flock will be the church or in the literal context of i understand the verse the flock will be just follow the, where the markings of the sheep, right? Because the king is represented as a shepherd, right? So the king is saying, okay, you want to know where I am? 
just follow where my flock passed by right and it says feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tents so that's interesting but i mean in in all in all in all differing versions of understanding of this verse the idea is to follow something to follow something to follow a pattern let's say to follow a footsteps to follow to follow um something that can be almost trace trace my steps right and i mean if you look at the life of jesus christ you can see you know you can already tell where he is but in a more real sense i think it says somewhere in the book of revelation that they follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth and the lamb it's interesting that a lamb is a sheep that we're talking about here but then obviously to follow the lamb with with the soever he goes is to do it by faith you know you have to know him you have to know where he's going um thomas was the one who asked uh you know where are you going we don't even know where you're going how we're gonna how (laughs) how we're gonna come to you but you know jesus tells them right there that you know i am the way the truth and the life so if jesus is the way (laughs) and he's also the person you are well He's the way and the destination. But in a real sense, God is the destination because the role of Jesus here is to refer us to the Father. The role of Jesus is to reunite us with God the Father. So this verse, as as simple and quite, in a sense, uh, simple as it may seem, it's actually very interesting if you take time to study it because there's so much that is embedded in here. But because of time, this is not an exhaustive study, but you guys can continue to study these things in your own time. And I promise you, it will be a blessing. I have compared thee, O my love, to a company of horses in Pharaoh's chariots. This is comparison. So the woman uh, compares his love to a company of horses in Pharaoh's chariots. That could mean a lot of things. But when you study horses, we see power. We see, at least in this case, Pharaoh's chariots. There's something majestic about the king. And there's something powerful about the king. And, you know, you take this and you study Jesus Christ, just even how he is represented in the book of Revelation chapter 1. The majesty that he has, he is as bright as the sun. He has feet of brass, his eyes as flaming fire. All these are metaphors to tell us something about Jesus Christ, that he is majestic, that he is powerful, and that he is, in fact, a king in his own right moving on in verse number 10 the the man now compliments the woman and he says thy cheeks are comely with rows of jewels thy neck with chains of gold interesting right so now we see that the as 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 opposed to the woman's unworthiness that she feels that she's not worthy because of her beauty that she doesn't deserve the king that we don't deserve jesus because of our sins jesus the king says something about us that's precious precious as jewels precious as gold even precious more than gold isn't that interesting and we told in and we told in the word starting with Ex, not Exodus, actually Exodus 19, that if we obey God indeed, we will be a peculiar treasure above all things. And we told that we are a peculiar nation called by God. And 
And now think about it. The Bible clearly says that we were bought with a price. Something much more better and incorruptible. Not as corruptible as gold and silver, right? So if we were bought with a price, priceless than gold and silver, what does that mean about our value? Think about it. It, it equally means that we have a value that is that surpasses gold and silver. And it seems to be a dilemma, not a dilemma, but uh, almost a paradox. How can we, as, as unworthy as we are, be given so much value? And I think the key is in given, given, freely given. It's not the value that we in that we innately possess, but it's a value that's placed upon us by, by the grace of God. So interesting, right? Verse number 11. We will make the borders of gold and studs of silver. Now this is the we again. This is interesting. So, and and this is very powerful, especially for those in relationships. Um, that as the out, as the people outside look upon your love or your your relationship, they should be able to say, "Wow, this is amazing." We will do this, let's say, and this whole prompt of we will make you or do something for you by these daughters of Jerusalem is given after the king's appreciation of the woman. So these daughters of Jerusalem see how the king appreciates appreciates his queen in a sense and they and and because of his example that he has set the 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 daughters of Jerusalem the outsiders let's call them also follow suit and do the same thing. It's, it's very interesting, right? And from here we see a principle that for men, how you treat a woman, your loved one, sets an example of how everybody else treats them. If you treat them with respect and dignity, then the other people will follow suit and do the same thing. But if you mistreat her, then they also do the same thing. But it's interesting. And in the case of us with Jesus Christ, the whole world will know that we are his disciples if we do what if we love one another there's something about love that casts away all doubts that is revealing i should say about who you are and or to be a witness so jesus says you will be known to be my disciples when you love because love is not a noun love is a verb and and it love does things in any case Moving on, and also remember guys, this is not exhaustive at all. This is just us going through the main points. Verse 12, while the king sits at his table, my spike nut sends forth the smell thereof. Interesting, won't have time to go through this one. You guys can let me know what you think in the comments. But let's wrap, let's wrap quickly here. Verse 13 speaks, a bundle of myrrh is my beloved unto me. He shall lie all night betwixt my breasts. And he continues in verse 14 to say, a band of mirrors, my well beloved. Huh, verse is repeated. Verse 15, verse 15, my beloved is unto me as a cluster of campfire in the vineyards of Ingedi. And interesting, uh, uh, interesting point about, about this Ingedi thing is that it was a place that's an oasis. And an oasis is a place that has water surrounded in the wilderness. So thinking of God, he is truly um, our oasis of joy and happiness. He's the source of life. So he fits this perfectly. But in a very real sense, whoever your lover is, he or she must also be able 
to be a source of something because it was not good for man to be alone and therefore God gave each person something that they can give the other person because that's how God works that's 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 how intimacy works and God designed it to be to be that way value is what i'm talking about okay verse 15 behold the king says to the woman thou art fair my love behold thou art fair interesting that it's repeated twice thou hast dove's eyes this comes the woman's fears about her insufficiencies and inadequacies and how she's unworthy before the king but the king tells her you my friend you are fair you are fair and he repeated twice for emphasis and and so you know it's amazing but now it's it becomes more amazing when you think about it in the context of Christ Jesus telling us that we are actually enough that we are complete in him it says somewhere that we can be perfect even as our heavenly father is is perfect in heaven and that comes away all the fears that we cannot do it and in fact yes we cannot do it on our own but if we are complete in him if we are with him then we do not need to worry about our insufficiencies because he takes care of them through us and with us the last part is actually very interesting thou hast dove's eyes for this one i had to do some research guys we can't skip all verses and i was looking at dove's eyes what's interesting about dove's eyes is as you can see in the picture they are very laser focused in terms of their vision birds being binocular means they cannot really roll around their eyes as we do and have a 360 view of everything well at least 180 view of things or 120 depending how how talented you are but birds just look straight forward and interestingly birds they don't have the luxury of having one eye focused on something else and the other eye focused on another thing they only look at the same object simultaneously during their mating process uh, one writer highlights how they are also laser focused and looking at each other right and it's interesting now think about the implications of that spiritually or even in a relationship if you're in a relationship you're supposed to have dove's eyes right that's why people who are truly really in a, in a relationship are called love birds and the birds that are referred to here are doves because of their laser fo- focused um yeah laser focused focused focusedness that's not english <laughs> because of how laser focused they are and and how 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 intimacy the intimacy of their eyes let's say how how that plays a role in their in their lives that god has given them so even in in a relationship you're supposed to have your eyes single to one person this is very important point when it comes to the idea of how many wives can i have or how many relationships can i have well you can only have one because god designed it to be that way all right so interesting interesting and in in case of god we have to be to have our eyes single to the glory of god we only have to see jesus and nothing else we cannot have the luxury not luxury but the madness <laughs> the madness of trying to look at different things at the same time it won't work you cannot serve two masters jesus said you either love one or 
hate the other, hate the one and love the other one. There is no in-betweens. So be a dove for God. Love love God with, with the love of a dove. Now this dove thing is actually very big because Solomon continues to use this analogy that, so much so that he reaches a point where he tells the woman that you are actually my dove. And also the man is also referred to as a dove. So this dove thing is powerful. To be a dove means now to have your your focus, your attention focused on one person. One person. So you need to focus on one person. Powerful stuff, right? Moving on. Behold thou art fair, my, my beloved, yeah, pleasant. Also our bed is green. You know, it matters the most when we realize that this is God speaking to us as a church. That we are fair. That we are his beloved. That we are pleasant. Pleasant is an interesting word. It is impossible to please God without faith. There's another verse which says that we were created to glorify God. Revelation chapter 4. All things were created for his pleasure. So we serve a purpose to God in that, in that regard. And God loves us. And we are pleasant to him. Now obviously we displease him in many ways. But fundamentally when you think of the object he created us for and whenever we are in his will we actually do serve a purpose of pleasing him of bringing him joy and delight and when you think about that my friend it changes how you think about God and how you act towards God because you know you are his beloved because you know he loves you so much he died for you he, he loves you so much he went to the depths of depths to save you and going back to the doves thing actually before we proceed the love of God is not a love for masses yes for God so loved the world he gave his son but his love is very real and very specific and personal and individual based if you think about it and and just as we should have a dove's eye towards God God also has a dove's eye towards us he cares about your immediate interests if you were the only person on the planet he will still have died for you because God's love is not about numbers. God's love is about a person he loves. Our bed is green, it says. Now green, a bed being green, green will be, speaks to the idea of growth and green speaks to the idea of, literally that means a field, you know, there's a field of exploration. There's, there's so much we can do, right? There's, there's a field, a field. Thinking about a field in, in context in the in the context of Christ, um, there is a field too when you think about about Jesus Christ. That the place is prepared for us, the new heaven and earth. It's just amazing the things we can explore with God, and that if we're in God, it's amazing how much we can also explore with each other in love. So that's interesting. Last verse. The beams of our house are cedar and our rafters of fir. All right, this is where we end. And this speaks to the strength of the love that these people have. And so in your relationships, make sure that your love is built on a strong foundation. On character, not on chemistry. On God, not on romantic novels and theories. It has to be based on God because God is love. All right, I think I took too much of your time. 
but you guys will bear with me and uh, tomorrow we'll try to be shorter and go through the chapter real quickly but today this was it i hope you are blessed i hope that this brings you closer to god primarily because he is the true lover of our life and secondary i hope that if you're in a relationship that this will teach you the right way to love that love is not a feeling that love is not uh, an impetuous combination of cluster of chemistry and hormones but love is real love has a plan love is a principle and love is a person and that person is god thank you so much for being part of the song of songs series song of solomon series and i hope to see you tomorrow as we dive into song of songs chapter two and we'll be talking something amazing so i hope you guys don't miss see you then bye for now